It is so, so good to be with you across our campuses, one house, many rooms, one church, many locations. Congrats to all those baptized across all of our campuses. It started on Thursday. It's been all weekend. We're so thankful for you celebrating what Jesus has done as you are making public your faith in him. Blesses us, fires us up, and we are thankful for you. Hey, before I hop into the teaching, let me get you caught up next weekend. We call it Commitment Weekend. It's Celebration Weekend. We are at the midpoint of our Because Initiative. We do 10 services over four over all weekend long to get people in and out of Bethlehem Church, the gathering across three campuses. So we're expanding. This gets you caught up. If you're new here, this is everything we've been doing the last year. This is the Because Initiative, the why. It's kind of all put in this. But next weekend, it's really a celebration weekend. Last year, so many of you said yes. You put your yes on the table. And next weekend, we just lock, lock arms, lock eyes, and remember what we did, kind of the halfway point of holding each other accountable in that journey. Those of you who are new to Bethlehem, it's your chance to take a step forward with us, to be a part of the movement with us, to be a part of this initiative. And it's a celebration weekend, and we'd love to have you a part of it. Celebration weekend, we tell stories, we're going to laugh, we're going to have a good time. But one thing we do at Bethlehem Church when we celebrate is we believe in food. (laughs) He's with me. He believes in it, right? We believe in food, so I'm not going to tell you what we're going to have, but we're going to have food across all of our campuses all weekend long. It will begin on Thursday because Thursday's the service God attends. And so, <laughs> hint, hint, right? No, Thursday it will begin, and we're actually, uh, all I'm going to say is it involves onion rings, okay? The food that we'll have catered. Uh, if you know anything about this area and a new store that's opened up recently, you may put two and two together. That's neither here nor there, but that will be a part of our celebration. And then on Sunday, it will not involve <laughs> onion rings, uh, but there will be food. We'll celebrate just a, a way to throw a party as we look at all that God is doing, has done, will do. Be a part of it with us. It'll be a blast next weekend. The symbol of our faith. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey, but the symbol of our faith is the cross. Agreed? It's the symbol of our faith that God demonstrates his love for us, that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. Every other world religion is based on if you do this, act a certain way, keep these certain rules, you can make God happy. The Christian faith is based on the fact that you, on your own, can't make yourself right with God. And so God sent his son. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That he came for us. That Jesus took our place. And if that is the symbol of our faith, then let me show you this. This is the power of our faith. The resurrection. The empty tomb. That's the power of our faith. That Jesus is not dead. He was not just our sacrifice, but he is our savior. And he rose from the dead. And Acts is the first link in the chain reaction of what happens after Jesus is alive. We've been in the book of Acts for a few weeks. In fact, if you have your Bibles, Acts 4, if you've got your notebook, page 23 is where we're at. Chain reaction. You know what a chain reaction is. It's a series of events, one based on the other. All right? This happened because of that. And that happens because of this. So this right now is here because that happened, and that happened because this happened. That's a series of events. Acts is the first in the chain reaction. The early church, they were faithful 
to the news and the power of the resurrection 2,000 years ago. And here we are now 2,000 years later as a part of that. It's a chain reaction that keeps on going. And what you're going to find is the early church collectively faced struggles. They faced certain realities early on. I still think we face today. Jesus followers early on, what you're going to see in Acts 4 is they face some realities I would argue 2,000 years later we still face today. In fact, I'm going to make a guarantee. And I never make guarantees on a Sunday. One of the three observations I'm going to give you, I would argue right now that you are experiencing in your life. One of these three, not all three, but one of these three I'm going to give you from the experience of the early church, you are seeing play out, manifest itself in your life right now. Like the Holy Spirit was so clear this week as I wrote like it just came. It was like, man, sometimes you got to work for it. Sometimes God just gives you to you. So I'm going to give you a couple of observations, realities. And one of these three things are true in your life right now. One, maybe all three, but my guess is one of these three things is happening in your life right now. So Acts chapter four, we pick up a lame man's been healed. That's Acts three. Sitting at the temple gate, been lame, couldn't walk 40 years. He is healed. He didn't ask to be healed. He asked for money. Peter and John, changed by Jesus, spoke in the name of Jesus, and they healed him. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 4. Here we go. As they were speaking to the people, the priests, that's Peter and John, leaders of the early church, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So the Sadducees... Right? They didn't like Jesus because he threatened their power. They took him on all through the Gospels. They also didn't believe in the resurrection or life after death, spirits, angels. That whole thing was like crazy to them. So these guys weren't any fun to be around. They didn't believe in the Messiah. They didn't have any hope. They were sad, you see. You see what I'm saying? You see what I did right there? <laughs> Actually, the girl who does my notes, she goes, Jason, say that. I'm like, that's good. I'm going to say it next service. And so... Thank you, Nicole. Right? And so let's keep moving here. These guys aren't even fun to be around. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. So they get arrested for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The number of men, head of households, they oftentimes counted head of households. 3,000 were saved a few days earlier. Now there's more than 5,000. This is heads of household, which means there's probably more people. There's only about 40,000 people in Jerusalem at this point. So this is a massive movement, this Jesus movement that's sweeping across the city and is getting pushed back. Here we go. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priest families. Not only groups, but people were pushing back. And they had set them, had them set in the midst of them. So Peter and John have to go stand in front of all these people. It says, by what power, by what name did you do this? Again, they're speaking to the lame man who is walking. Who gave him the power? Who let you do this? So if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to put down. Let me give you three observations. One is simply this, before we keep going in this passage. The church, or Jesus followers individually, the church, or Jesus followers individually, you, you and I, should expect opposition. Should expect opposition. By opposition, I mean pushback. By pushback, I mean resistance. By opposition, I mean hard. 
Now make sure we get why they're experiencing pushback. A lame man had been healed and they're preaching Jesus is the only way. The message of the church has always been, we believe Jesus is the only way and following Jesus will change your life. That's the central message of the church for 2,000 years. There's no other way to God. Jesus is the only way and following Jesus will change your life. Let me tell you what messages don't get pushed back. You need to be a good person. Nobody pushes back on that. You need to be a good citizen. You need to act with manners. Nobody pushes back on this. Right? You need to follow new rules to live by. That doesn't get pushed back. But when you say Jesus is the only way, and if you follow Jesus, your life will be different, that got pushed back then, that will get pushed back now. Always has, always will. In August, the way I said it, was this, salvation is free, but following Jesus isn't cheap. It'll cost you something. Salvation is free, it's by grace alone, but following Jesus isn't cheap, and you know cheap, come on. Like, what do you mean cheap? Can I get any dollar fan, dollar general fans in the room, dollar store fans? Come on, you know where you live, get your hand up. <laughs> we got churches and dollar generals, it seems like everywhere, right? Church builds dollar generals. My wife likes dollar general Right, she'll go and come back and found stuff. It's great, it's easy, it's cheap, and it's inexpensive, which means it won't last. <laughs> Fun to get, but it's not gonna last. Listen, salvation is free. Following Jesus will cost you something. In fact, here's what I said in August. If you feel like it's hard to follow Jesus, like you're getting pushback and resistance, and you're going uphill, it's probably because you're doing it right. Probably because you're doing it right. Opposition means resistance. And the early church, listen, the early church, they faced it in the form of persecution. That's what the early church faced. Peter and John would get put in jail again and again from this point on because they were preaching Jesus. Because they were saying your life can be changed. It faced persecution. Now, we don't face corporate persecution collectively. Like, I think the message of Jesus and the gospel, no doubt, Christians, compared to 20 and 30 years ago, our society likes portraying us a little crazy. Media likes saying we're crazy. That's going to continue on. That's not right out persecution, though. Marginalized, yes. Are you going to go to jail because of your faith? No. But let me press in a little bit. I am talking to people that are facing opposition because you've chosen to follow Jesus and there's friction in relationships in your life because of that. There's tension in your life because of you choosing to follow Jesus. Like because you have different values and you're trying to live a different way because of Jesus, it causes some problems. You make some people in your life uncomfortable. Not because you're judgmental, but because you're different and they know it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or it seems like you're walking uphill. For some of us, we're the first believers in our families. We feel belittled. We feel like we're treated like we're a little bit crazy. Oh, yeah, it's cute. It works for you. People sneer at us, look at us. Like, like if you've ever felt that, that's opposition. That's not outright persecution, but that's opposition. And some of you are the first believers in your family. First Jesus followers in your family. God chose you to break a generational curse. Such a big deal. Can I say this to you as your pastor? If that's you, you feel opposition relationally because you're following Jesus. Can I say this to you? Don't back down. 
Don't you back down. You stay at it. You stay faithful. The church has always faced opposition. For others of us, it's outright discouragement. The opposition doesn't come in persecution or people giving us a hard time. We're just discouraged. <laughs> We're just discouraged. Like circumstances, our health, job situation, financially. You know what I'm talking about? Discouragement. Like you're just down. Not just feeling down, but you are down. It's like everything is uphill all the time. Life is difficult. It seems like because of your faith, since you've chosen to follow your faith, follow Jesus, your life's not easier, it's harder, and you feel discouraged because things are against you. Howard Hendricks, famous professor, said this. I wrote it down years ago of preaching. Right, A guy I would only read, but I love what he said. Here's the way he said it. Discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out their hearts. I've pastored for some time now. I'm not as young as I look, and I know I look really young. <laughs> right? But what I've found is when people get discouraged, their tank is on empty, they make dumb decisions. When they're discouraged, they say things they regret. When they're discouraged and in a cycle of discouragement, they give up too soon. Like fear replaces faith. Right? Anxiety replaces prayer. Insecurity replaces confidence. If I've learned anything, is you can't undiscourage yourself. Let me say this again. If I've learned anything, you can't, I don't know if this is a word, I'm just going to use it as a word. You can't undiscourage yourself. Can't do it. You can do some self-talk. You can read a verse that's all good. But just getting to a place where you undiscourage yourself, I don't think you can do it. You know what you can do, though? Put yourself around people and in places where you are encouraged. That's the choice you can make. That's the power of the local church. It should be the most life-giving place on the planet. The early church was filled with excitement because the Spirit of God in each of them encouraged one another. They saw the difference in the midst of opposition. They stuck together. Why are we expanding? Look at this room. It's full. We could just go, hey, we've done enough. We're... Why are we expanding? Simply because I believe our culture is completely toxic. Like me, my card's on the table. I think we live in a toxic world. And here's a newsflash. I think it's only going to get darker. When I read this, and I'm banking my life on it, it doesn't get easier. It gets darker and more toxic. And that's why I think the local church, Bethlehem Church, should be the most life-giving place on the planet. Right? If you are discouraged, here's what I would say. Don't back down. If you are discouraged in your faith, it's not because you, maybe you've done something wrong. You could have. <laughs> maybe it's not because you've done something wrong. It's because you're human. Don't back down. Right? Don't back down. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. So Peter comes out before them the next morning, and he's gathered all these people who are mad at him. He goes, hey. You guys, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? So pause. Here's what Peter did. He's a little sarcastic here, I think. This is Peter going, let me make sure we're on the same page. There was a man who was lame for 40 years, and he's healed, and you guys are uptight about that. That's why we're here, right? Like, we're on the same page. I didn't break any rule. 
I didn't break any law. Something happened you didn't like, so just we're on the same page. And they're like, yeah, we're on the same page. Okay, then I'm going to keep going. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, here's what he's saying, who you killed a few weeks ago right over there. Right over there, you killed him a few weeks ago. That's what Peter's saying. Right, whom God raised from the dead, and you buried him over there. But he's not there anymore. Right? By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And here's the word. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby they must be saved. Now when they saw the, what's the word right here? Boldness of Peter and John. Pause, I'll come back to that. Here's the second observation. The church, or you individually, Jesus' followers, is at its best when we have a bold faith. When we have a bold faith. They saw their boldness. Not passivity, their boldness. Put that down for a second. Let me make sure I'm clear about what I mean by boldness. Same thing 2,000 years ago. They'll experience, we experience now. The church is at its best. Jesus' followers are at their best when they are bold. Now, what do I mean by bold? Make sure we're on the same page. Bold, I'm not talking about being a bully. Loud, belligerent, angry. Now, come on. You ever met a Jesus follower, a Christian? Now, I've been in church a long time. I have. You ever been around a Christian that's just mad? They're just mad at the world. They're mad at the president. They're mad at the pastor that's changing things, right? They're mad at the music they play. They're mad. They're mad. Ugh. The joy, I mean, the joy of the Lord is their strength, and they're just foul. You ever been around, right? Like, think of all the people I've baptized, all the people I've been around who I've baptized through the years. How did you come to know Jesus? Well, there was this guy who just kept bullying me when it came to Jesus. And I finally am like, I give up. I'm going to follow him. Never met it. Like, I've never heard somebody say, you know, I had these people that looked at me and they talked down to me and go, why are you an idiot? Because you don't follow Jesus? And I finally like, that's right. I'm an idiot. Now I'm going to follow Jesus. Right? Never happened. That's not what I mean. This tone and demeanor. Ugh. No. Being bold means being convinced I'm just convinced Peter and John being convinced Peter said hey this Jesus you killed a few weeks ago he's alive I've seen him and by his power that man was healed I'm convinced because I've experienced in fact he's the cornerstone in Israel any builders in the room a cornerstone is like a big deal then it's a big deal now but it's a bigger deal then the cornerstone was kind of the centerpiece of everything you built the weight of a building that you built, the rock was all based on the cornerstone, getting it right. The dimensions were all based on the cornerstone, getting it right. He was convinced. Peter saying, we're convinced Jesus is the cornerstone. So let me lean in right here. The early church wasn't convinced Jesus was their best option, religiously speaking. So when I talk about being convinced, the early church was not convinced Jesus was their best option religion. Of all the things out there, Jesus just kind of fits us best. No. 
The early church was convinced and their life was staked on it that Jesus is the centerpiece of everything. See, if Jesus is like the person you're most comfortable affiliating with when it comes to religiousness, faith. And Jesus Christians, they're the people I'm most comfortable with or they kind of have my same values. If, if that's the way faith is for you, what happens is your faith is passive. And by passive, it's something you access from time to time. That's where I find many people at. They don't have a bold faith. They have a passive faith. I'm not saying you don't have faith. I'm saying your faith is passive. What's a passive faith? Granny gets cancer, we better call on God. The rest of the time, we're good. We got this thing. That's a passive faith. Kids are in trouble. We better get back to church to teach them some morals and get them around some good people. Passive faith. When everything's good and we're busy, we give God the nod. But we're doing our own thing. A bold faith is how I'm convinced my family, my future, and our life rest in this person, Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm staking everything on it. I don't care what the world says. Church, may we be a people who are bold. There are some of you right now that God is working in your heart. God is stirring in your heart. Let me tell you what he's doing. You have a passive faith. I love you, but your faith is very passive. By passive, it means when it works for you and when you need God, you kind of call on him. It's not a part of your life. You don't have a bold faith. Let me tell you what God's doing to you. He's not condemning you. He's calling you to a place of boldness. He's not shaming you. He's calling you to a place. Are you convinced? What we're seeing is the falling off in our culture of casual Christians. I'll see them at Easter, but I don't see them the rest of the time. There's a falling off of a casualness. Why? I think God is purifying his church. May we be a people who are bold and convinced. Let's keep going. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, so we're going back. They see it. These guys are bold. This is my favorite part of the whole talk right here. And perceived, here's what they saw. They were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. Why? What they recognized was the only thing about them that was unique is they'd been with Jesus. That's good. Y'all didn't think it was good. So I'm going to read it one more time. And I'm going to show you why it's good. Now, come on now. This is good. This is good news for you. And I'm about to show you why it's good news. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, man, they perceived what here, here's what they perceived. These guys are not smart. They don't have degrees. They don't have pedigrees. They don't have a great name. Their family's not awesome. They're common men. They're fishermen. They work a nine to five. They're not Pharisees. They're not Sadducees. They're not priests. They're common men. They work with their hands. They're roughnecks. These guys are common. They're everyday guys, but they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because they could see there was something different about them. What was different about them is they'd been with Jesus. Like they had been with Jesus. The most impressive thing about the early church is how unimpressive they are. The most impressive thing about the early church is how unimpressive they are. They are, they were blown away because these people weren't that impressive on their own. Like on their own, they didn't come from families with names. On their own, they didn't have a great education. On their own, they wasn't heroic. 
On their own, they were unimpressive, but together they were a force to be reckoned with. No name, no brand, no image. So let me say this to you with a smile on my face. Every campus that you're at, if you, even as you're sitting at home watching this, every campus that you're at, I want you to look around for a second. The people you came with, the people you didn't come with, but you're sitting behind them breathing on them, right? <laughs> look around for a second. Look around. Let me tell you what you're looking at. When you look around this room, I'm going to be honest with you, we're not that impressive of people to look at. I look at you every week, trust me. <laughs> I say that kindly. This is not the most impressive bunch of people you're ever going to meet. Now, some of you, that bristle, something in you just goes, wait a second. <laughs> he must have been talking about one of those other services. This is the service that's impressive. No, not really, right? <laughs> but some of you push back. You're like, I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about, man. My kid, he's a pitcher on the baseball team, you know, seven-year-old baseball team. Ooh. <laughs> okay. I don't know what you're talking about. You hadn't seen my 401K, big boy. Wow, right? Neato, right? I don't know. Listen to me. What I am saying, we push back on that idea. Why? Because we live in a time where it's all about building your brand. You and I are sucking oxygen in a world that says you better build your own brand and you better craft your own image. If you are 40 and down, all social media is. Let me tell you what social media is. is you projecting something that's not true about yourself. But you want people to think it's true. That's all it is. That's all social media is. I'm not getting on to you. Project, project, project. Your highlight reel when actually your life is full your life is full of low lights, but you just put your highlight reel on there. And when you put your low light, you're trying to glorify yourself because you're going through a hard time and nobody understands. I gotta stop before I get going too much here, okay? <laughs> so I wanna say so when I say we're not un, we're unimpressive, people are like, hey now, you don't know me. Let me say this to you. Bethlehem Church is not into building a brand. We're into building people that the world looks like and goes, those people there, they've been with Jesus. That's what we're committed to. Those people there, thank you. That's what they're committed to. Those, those imperfect people, those normal, ordinary people, there's something about them, they've been with Jesus. That's what the church is committed to. Let's remember who the leader of this crew was. Talk about brand damage for a second. His name was Peter. Now, if you know Peter, anybody ever heard of Peter? Hand up in the room, right? Let me tell you about Peter because you're going to find some hope right here. Peter was a mess. He was one of the first 12 disciples. And Peter was a passionate dude. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the Gospels, Peter was very passionate, but he was also prideful. And you saw this come out over and over and over again. So right before Jesus goes on trial, Peter and Jesus have a conversation. You can see this in John chapter 13. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. He's like, no way I'm going to deny you. I am with you till the end. In fact, Peter looks at Jesus and says, when everybody else goes their own way, I'm sticking with you. Everybody else may fall, but I am with you. And by that, he meant till a few hours later. <laughs> Jesus is arrested. Jesus goes on trial. And while he's arrested, Peter follows at a distance. Three different times, people are like, hey, Peter, aren't you one of his disciples? Hey, dude, aren't you one of his? No, I don't know who you're talking about. He just told Jesus, I'm with you till the end. Aren't you with Jesus? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. 
I mean, maybe a guy who looked like me. The third time he said it, there was a rooster crow. Jesus, just like Jesus predicted. You can read this in Luke 23. Get this picture. The third time Peter's asked, aren't you with Jesus? At the same time a rooster crows. Jesus said, you're going to deny me the third time before the rooster crows. A rooster crows, and Jesus locks eyes with Peter across the courtyard. Jesus locks eyes with Jesus, or with Peter. He fully sees him. Peter, who's talking with boldness. Peter, who's a leader of the early church. Peter. And what shame. The abject failure. Like Jesus knew him. He saw him. So let me give you a little bit of free. Some of us in this room, we believe when it comes to faith, when we chose to follow Jesus, we wear a lot of shame and guilt, and we feel like we fall down again and again. That's what you feel like. When it comes to your faith journey, you are very imperfect, and a lot of times you beat yourself up. You wear yourself out. That's what you feel like. In fact, what many people think when it comes to following Jesus, like if this is the marking line of my faith, when I started following Jesus, I was a kid, I was a teenager, baptized a few weeks ago, came to Jesus later in my life, but I've been following Jesus. We can look back and go, since this point, I've been following Jesus. What we feel is, what that means is day by day, I'm taking a step higher and higher and closer and closer, and I'm staying faithful, and here I am. I was here, and now I'm here. And week by week and year by year, I'm continually changing, and I was here, but now I'm here. That's what our faith journey should look like. That's what we desire it to look like. Many of you are like, yes, but yours don't look like that. Can I tell you what your faith journey looks like? Many of us in this room, in fact, I would say most of us, if not all of us, this. <laughs> Many of our faith's journey in this room, that's what, like two steps forward, one step back. I'm so on fire. I'm so passionate. No, I'm distracted. I love Jesus so much, but now he's paying me attention, this guy over here, so I'm going to chase him for a little bit. No, Jesus is the center of my life because my kids are screwing up. Now my kids are doing pretty good, so we're busy doing these things over here. And everything's good, and I see clearly, and up and down and up and down. This is Peter. This is what most of our faith journey looks like. Pastor, what are you saying? In John 21, after Jesus raises from the dead, you see the reconciliation between Peter and Jesus. It was on this sea, this shore right here. My wife and I stood. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the shore. This is the beach where Peter and Jesus reconciled. You can read about it in John 21. Right here. On this actual beach. Peter's fishing, doing what he did before Jesus called him. Because listen to me, when we feel like we failed, don't we go back to doing what we did once we did? So here's Peter on the shore. Jesus resurrected comes to him, and they have a conversation. You can read it in John 21. And when Jesus and Peter, Peter is fully known by Jesus. Jesus locked eyes with him as he's about to go to the cross as Peter denies him. Jesus Fully knew him. Put that little chart up here, the little messy line one, Nicole. Jesus fully knew this is Peter. He knows this is you. He fully knows it. He fully sees it. And when Jesus talks to Peter, you know what he does? After all this has happened, he doesn't scold him. He doesn't shame him. 
He doesn't go, what did you do that for? He doesn't say, when I was in the worst spot, you let me down. You know what he says? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Keep following. He says the same thing he said to him the first time he said, follow me. He said, keep following. Feed my sheep. Nothing's changed. Why? And here's the thing. Peter was convinced he'd let Jesus down. And on the shore in John 21, you know what he learned? He was never holding him up in the first place. And for some of us around this room, what you need to be reminded over and over again is you weren't holding Jesus up in the first place. It is his faithfulness to you that sustains your, his relationship with you, not your faithfulness to his. That is the gospel. That you can be fully known just as you are, and yet you can be fully loved. Many of us are scared if people really know who I was and who I struggled with and how my family was and how my marriage was and how my choice. If people fully knew who I was, they would not fully love me. So we are never fully known and we never feel fully loved because we're not comfortable, because we don't want to own. May the church of Jesus Christ be a place where you can be fully known and fully loved because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are fully known and fully loved don't back down so let me say this to this church if you're new a year ago we stepped into an exciting season we're expanding it's all in here it's why we gave it to you you don't have to ask any questions you can this is your favorite book i gave you three weeks ago you've got it all marked up you've read it you know it all i'm saying that knowing that's not true for some of you but some of you have this and there's so many of us, hundreds of families that make up thousands of people that took a step forward in a life of generosity. Thank you. You continue to do that. Thank you. It's not always easy, but you continue to do that. Thank you. Because you're committed to this place. And we're expanding. This time next year, can you believe it, but we're walking into a new facility. And God's timing and God's place, right? Opening up more seats for people to come to Jesus. But there's many new families that have joined this last year. Like over a thousand people. We're running more than a thousand we were this time last year. Crazy. Over a thousand people. And what I'm asking you in this season is not just to consume, but to begin to contribute. To not just spectate, but begin to participate. To not just be loosely committed, but to be or loosely connected, but to be deeply committed. Don't you look at me. Because the reality is the local church is the hope of the world. And the early church was committed to one another. In fact, I want you to hear from John and Stephanie. John and Stephanie are you if you're new to Bethlehem Church. A year ago when we stepped into this new venture we're calling Because, many of you weren't here. John and Stephanie weren't here at this church a year ago. Gotten to know them and their story of we don't want to be loosely connected. We want to be deeply committed. And I want you to hear from them the why. The why they joyfully give, the why they go head over heels in on the local church. Why? I want you to hear their story, why they're a part of Because, and why it's this place, and what God's done in their hearts. Check my friends out, John and Stephanie. Okay, so you guys just recently started coming to Bethlehem. Tell me how y'all landed here. So uh, rewind to maybe 2020, 2021, our pastor retired. Uh, we were kind of praying about a home church. We visited a lot of local churches. 
Um, couldn't find one that we really felt in with, you know, as we as we go as we went there. Um, we actually started praying together about where where do we need to go, God? Where where is this going to be a fit for us? Um, that day, I had five patients, literally in a row, say, "You guys need to try Bethlehem Church. You need to try Bethlehem Church." So I called her at lunch. I said, "I think we're, we're going, going to Bethlehem. I think we're going to Bethlehem Church, Steph." <laughs> so um, he kind of spoke to us. I think in that way to say, hey, let's try it. And from day one, we were we were kind of all in with yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. That's cool. And one thing I think is so neat about you guys is how you instantly took a next step after you started coming. So tell me a little bit about that. I just remember walking in the doors. I think in general, people tend to put their best foot forward. Um, but in life, when you get squeezed, you know, what always comes out? For us, Every time that we've walked in Bethlehem, we have found the most authentic people that whether they're being squeezed or not in day-to-day -day situations, they're just truly good people. Um, and for us, I, I don't think we found that anywhere else. So that's what's meant the most to us. And we just, when you know, you know. Yeah. I mean, the first message was on chasing peace and we were kind of looking for peace of where to be. and. It was talking about small groups and they're starting up and we looked at each other right after the mess and said, hey, we're joining a small yeah. group. And that just happened. I mean, it wasn't us really thinking that was going to happen. We were visiting for the first time. I was happy with the coffee mug. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so you guys, you joined a small group immediately right after coming. And now we're about eight months down the road from that. So tell me uh, what else you have done at Bethlehem. What other steps have you taken since? So um, I serve, I volunteer. We joined the Because Initiative. We didn't totally know we signed up at first. <laughs> we were new to the church and um, we just grabbed it and we signed up and we thought we were tithing for the week. Um, now understanding and fully grasping, it holds a whole new importance to us. So in that season where we are now, we have sat down and prayed over it and decided um, we play a little bit of a game with each other where he'll pray about it separately and then write a number. I'll pray about it, write a number, and then we both reveal our numbers. And with the Because Initiative, it happened to be the same Exact number. same number. And uh, nine times out of 10, it is the exact same yeah. number, whether it's, hey, how much are we gonna spend on groceries or how much are we gonna commit to because and um, like she said we just started putting money in the envelope and that's kind of my old school thought of church and that's what we were doing and um, when we started to hear about because and kind of what the initiative was that's when we started to really dig in and, and read about it and study kind of the word and see where it's pulling us and something that Pastor Jason said that sticks to me is hey we're going to give if you give 10% now or give 20% now, give something, we're gonna give something that makes you kind of feel a little bit more or a little more uncomfortable at times, I think. And I think that's um, kind of where, where we landed. Sometimes it gets stressful when it's a financial giving, which is silly because at the end of the day, it's not really ours to give. Yeah. We're just... Stewards. Yeah. We're stewards of what is given to us, I yeah, think. absolutely. And um, that's what we were called to do. So mm -hmm. that's the initiative we're gonna try to take, so. What would you say to someone that's part of the Bethlehem Church family that is maybe on the fence about making a commitment? I would say search your heart. Um, 
ask for guidance, right? Pray about it. Um, it's something that is not light, lightly taken, right? But it's also something that's super important. It's the most rewarding thing that you can probably do is help save a life. I think also just being there and truly being in the moment and feeling your heart just explode because so many wonderful things are being said that you can relate to and, and truly carry with you all week long. Um, I just feel like there's a work being done there that's so much bigger than we realize and really vital to our futures. Amen. Thank you for those guys. Give those guys a hand. And here's what I love as Stephanie said. I think there's something that's happening is way bigger than we realize and so vital to the future. All my cards on the table, I'm just convinced the local church is the hope of the world. That the body of believers holding together in a crazy society, right, standing together. There's no obligation to this church, anybody. There's an invitation for all, but make no mistake, the early church was fully devoted, not loosely connected. When you're loosely connected, you become a consumer. Take and take and take. Take and take and take. And take and take and take. But you don't fully buy into what God's doing. Be a part. See, listen to me. The secret sauce of Bethlehem Church through the years, I'm about to give it to you. Now, what do you mean secret sauce? Like, you know, when you take something, you're like, man, there's something there. There's, what is that? The secret sauce. There's not really one, but if there is one that I never talk about, let me end with this. We're a multi-generational church, and I think that's very unique. I'll tell the story more next weekend across all of our campuses, but we're a multi-generational church. What he means, we represent every generation under the roof when we gather at all of our campuses. What you, so like six weeks ago, we dedicated more than 100 babies on a Saturday. We had a baby dedication, a child dedication where families come together. If anybody's a part of that, raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of you guys around the room had babies and they dedicated and said, we're going to walk with Jesus. We're dedicating ourselves to our church family that we're going to raise our kid to walk with Jesus, our family's going to walk. So more than 100 families, babies, young ones, across all of our campuses, more than 1,100 people gathered on a Saturday morning, right, to dedicate. It was awesome. Six weeks ago, young, young church. The same realities, last weekend, our oldest member at Bethlehem Church turned 103 last weekend. Right? Come on, right? 103. And some of you like, that gives me hope. Nah, you're not going to make it to 103. She's way godlier than you. I'm just letting you know, man. You're way better than most of you are. I'm just telling you, I love you. I'm not going to, Lord knows the stress of my life. I get 70, I'm happy, right? 103, it's like, man, I say all that to say, lean in here. Let me speak to every generation. Just for a second. And by every generation, I mean three. Just kind of bulked you into a couple groups. I want to talk to grandparents. My grandparents, maybe you're an empty nester in the room. And you're like, man, I'm an empty nester, but I'm not a grandparent yet. Well, I'm about to stick you in the same category for a second. Just be okay. Kids are not in the house. The hustle and bustle of your life looks a little different right now. Good for you. You give all of us hope who are in the hustle and bustle that you can make it through. Good for you. Your grandparent in the room, 
right? Or empty nester. You're in a different season of life. You've lived a little more of life than some of us. You've got some seasoning in your life. We need your wisdom. We need your life experience. For many people that go through that stage in life, they have a way once their kids get done of stepping back from the church. We need you to lean in like never before. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. We're not standing on your shoulders yet. One day we will. Right now we're locking arms with you. If you're in that generation, let me say this to you. We need you. You may have retired from your job and your occupation, or you may be looking at retirement coming in your job or your occupation. Good for you. Congratulations. Can I say this to you across all of our campuses? You do not retire from the kingdom of God. And you have opportunity to lean in like never before and let God leverage your experience and your influence. Can I say this to you, grandparents? I've said this to Bethlehem Church before. I will say it again. But if you're a grandparent in the room, legacy is not what you leave for your kids. The cash, the houses, that's not your legacy. You know what that stuff will do? Burn. Just letting you know they're going to use it up fast. Legacy is not the stuff that you leave for your kids. And I hope you leave stuff for your kids. The kids in the room are getting up tight with me right now going, hey, man, don't you, what are you talking about? Let them leave us some stuff, all right? It's a good thing. What I'm trying to say is in America, we think we leave stuff for our kids. That's our legacy. Really? That's your legacy? You left your kids some stuff and some cash? Legacy is actually what you leave in your kids. Legacies leave what you leave in your grandkids, and that's character. Do not back down. You count in the kingdom, and you matter here. Second group of people, you're my age, your parents, you have kids in the house. Maybe you're younger than me, you have young kids. Maybe you're my age, you have teenagers. Can I say this to you? What are you laughing, man? You know? <laughs> Uh, you have teenagers. Let me say, you've got a million things going. You feel sometimes like a glorified Uber driver that has spiritual conversations. You know, it's like I'm driving my kids from all good. It's busy. You're here. You're there. You're yonder. You got tons of pressures. You got tons of problems. I get all of that. I'm with you in this. And here's what I want to remind parents in the room: If you got kids in the house, raise your hand. Kids in the house. I want you to keep up for a second. Let me remind you this: You got a bunch of things going, don't you? Right now, you got a bunch of things going, don't you? You got a bunch of things going, don't you? you I do too. I'm with you. I'm with you. Put them down. I, I guarantee you, my wife and I will get to home today. It's great. We'll have five things. Our kids. Hey, we got to do. Okay, all right. All right. Dad, just work. Can I sit down for a second? No, 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 no. Then, uh, okay. I get it. We're all in this. And here's what I remind you so much of it's good, so much of it's a blessing, so much of it's awesome. But can I remind you this? There's only one thing that you actually have going in your home right now that'll count 100 years from now. One. All the things, all the things, all the things. One. That's it. And it's going to blow your mind. All the things you got going. Boy, little Johnny can throw a fastball. Great. Nobody's going to care in 100 years from now. Boy, we, we went undefeated. Woo, great. Nobody's going to care 100 years from now. Like, that's just truth. We got the cutest. It's great. Nobody's going to care 100 years from now. Let me tell you what's going to count 100 years from now. The person of Jesus Christ and what your family did with Jesus Christ. That's it. 100 years from now, that's all that's going to matter. 
don't you back down. Don't back down. Next generation, college students, high school students, middle school students in the room, I want to say this to you as your pastor. You are not the church of the future. You are the church right now. You're the dead center of the movement of God in our time. Show us how to be passionate. Show us how to care for what really matters. We forget. Show us what it means to live a life of truth in a time of lies. Show us what it means to live pure in a time of darkness. Show us what it means that your life counts for the kingdom and you're not consumed with dumb stuff, but you give yourself to King Jesus. You lead the way. I promise you this will follow. Will follow, right? Don't back down. If you'll stand with me, we're going to close. I'm just going to pray a prayer over you. Nobody leaving. I'm going to just pray a prayer over you with your head bowed and your eyes closed. The first part of the message I said to a few of you, and maybe this is what resonated with you. You're in a season of opposition. Life circumstances oppose you. You've got difficult relationships in your life. You've got some health situations. You're dealing with some opposition. Like you're following Jesus faithfully, but you're dealing with opposition. Prayer teams, I'm going to go ahead and ask you as I pray right now to go ahead and come to the front. But that's you. You're like, dude, I'm facing opposition. Like I'm facing hard. I don't know what that hard is for you, but I just want to pray a prayer, pray a prayer over you. Philippians 1 6. If that is you in the room, go, dude, I, Jason, I'm facing opposition. Pastor, I'm facing opposition. Like it's just hard. I don't need all the details. But you're just like, yeah, when you were talking about the church has always faced opposition, and sometimes opposition is about discouragement, that's me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand real high all over this room? Lift it high. You face an opposition. Yeah. Father, for my friends, I pray in the name of Jesus, Philippians 1, 6, over every person with their hand all over this room. This is Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you, Jesus, who tapped you on the heart and called you by name, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete that work. You have not let him down because you were never holding him up. And even though it's hard, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It means you're following Jesus faithfully in a world that isn't always what we want it to be. So right now, I pray that the peace that transcends understanding in every situation, that you would experience that. I pray right now that you would know that God is for you. I pray right now that you would receive that there is no condemnation and that you actually have a power in you that's greater than the power that's coming against you. That you would be encouraged, that in a time of discouragement, that you would be encouraged by the people of God in this place. That you'd be encouraged today knowing that God's not done with you and that this is not the end. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that's above every name. We pray and everybody said.